Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the Twisted Mirror. Even if you're the type to skip intros, make sure you listen to this one as I have an update. After this episode, I will be taking a mid-season break. My day job is insanely busy this time of year, and while I started the season ahead, there are some episodes I'd recorded in advance that I would like to redo. With some experience under my belt, I plan to take the time off to get some episodes in the bank and do some writing as I have so many ideas. I don't have an exact date yet for the return of the show, so make sure you follow me on Facebook at Twisted Mirror Pod or IG, Twisted Mirror Podcast, for updates. In the meantime, please share the show with anyone who you know who enjoys horror. And please rate and review the show so it can continue to grow. I have so many stories to tell and I can't wait for you all to see what's in store. Finally, in the show notes, I have linked two articles I used to research this story. Not only are they full of details about the events, but also one contains a helpful visual aid. Now, on to Twisted Mirror's first true horror episode. See, sometimes, on the other side of the twisted mirror, if you look closely enough, you'll see a person staring back, looking at our crazy world as a warped reflection of their own. You are now staring into the twisted mirror. Imagine finding yourself trapped in total darkness, upside down, your arms pinned underneath you so tightly that you can hardly breathe, let alone move. Each time you struggle, you only manage to fall in deeper into the dark fissure. No, this isn't the start of a horror movie. In fact, this all started so innocently. An attempt to hearken back to younger years, surrounded by family during a joyous holiday season. Freedom is just feet away and yet, you find yourself suddenly and hopelessly stuck. Does the thought of this make your pulse quicken? Your body tense? Your breathing erratic? Your brow trickle with sweat? Today, I'm going to recount the events that led to the death of John Edward Jones, a man who went caving with his family just days before Thanksgiving and found himself in a pitch-black prison only eight and a half inches wide.
John Edward Jones was a 26-year-old medical student in Virginia. He grew up in Utah, not far from Nutty Putty Cave. His family was close-knit and strong in their Mormon faith. He and his wife, Emily, had a one-year-old daughter and another child on the way. They were visiting family for the Thanksgiving holiday. John was not new to spelunking, a.k.a. cave exploration, but hadn't gone in years. Discovered in 1960, Nutty Putty Cave is a naturally formed thermal cave located on the west side of Utah Lake. The cave consists of many rooms connected by small tunnels and narrow corridors. Despite the tight spaces, it was generally thought of as a cave for beginners. In fact, it became so popular that surfaces in the more commonly traveled portions, such as the Big Slide, were becoming smooth, and there were concerns this would lead to an eventual fatality. Perhaps its reputation and popularity, along with his previous adventures in spelunking, had given John a false sense of security while exploring its depths. The cave entrance is six feet in diameter and drops down 15 feet. There is a two-foot opening in which you must crawl for 20 feet that then opens to a room. From there, you can go towards the big slide, which, true to its name, descends at a 45-degree angle and has a 15-foot drop at the end, or the maze, which like its name implies, is a series of rooms and tight tunnels. The Big Slide, a path John and his family had chosen, leads to two famous corridors. The Birth Canal, a tight passage that would then take you to the infamous Aorta Crawl. A grueling, 115-foot, tight tunnel. John, his brother Josh, and nine other family members decided to embark on some pre-Thanksgiving family bonding by doing some spelunking at Nutty Putty Cave. At approximately 8 p.m. on November 24, 2009, John entered the cave. He wasn't new to cave exploration, having done so as a child with his father and brother, but it had been some years since his last foray. He was now six feet tall and 200 pounds, likely significantly larger than his last venture. About an hour into the adventure, four of the group decided they wanted a challenge, and John's brother suggested they explore a formation known as the birth canal. This tight passage would lead to an even tighter passage I have already mentioned, the aortal crawl. Based on the map, it appears that instead of going into the birth canal, John and company overshot it and turned towards Ed's Push. Ed's Push is essentially a narrow and misshapen dead end. Unlike some of the other tunnels that were no doubt very tight but held to a relatively straight line, Ed's Push led to tighter, smaller crevices that often had ledges that could make turning or backing out very difficult. These caves are dark and the only light you have is the one you bring with you. But even then, the path ahead isn't easy to see. And so, 
you slink along these tight tunnels on faith, trusting that you are going in the right direction. A small person might be able to crawl in and reverse to exit Ed's push, and even then, they'd have a tough go at it. But for someone John's size, advancing into Ed's push and then trying to reverse would be much like jamming one's fingers into a Chinese finger trap and then trying to rip them out. John forged ahead, having no idea they were headed towards a no-man's land. Convinced he was headed towards the narrow, but well-traveled, aorta crawl, John inched ahead through the narrow opening and soon realized he was stuck. Unfortunately, by the time he realized this, John didn't even have room to squirm backward. His only way out, he thought, was to continue forward. Rescuers believe he saw a fissure ahead that looked like a wider opening to turn around. So, John exhaled in an attempt to give himself a little more room to inch ahead. But of course, when he inhaled and expanded his chest, he had suctioned into the corridor and now found himself tilted downward. As John struggled, gravity worked against him and he only fell deeper into what was now a mere 8.5 inch opening past the fissure. The lamp on his helmet, which served as his eyes in an otherwise pitch black cave, fell off farther down into the tunnel, leaving him in total darkness. Now he was pinned between jagged cave walls and rendered blind. His brother Josh tried to pull him by his lower legs but couldn't dislodge him. And just as when John struggled, Josh's desperate attempts to pull his brother out only served to suction him deeper into the fissure every time he lost his grip. John's arms were now pinned underneath him, rendering him completely immobile. As Josh tried everything he could to pull his brother out, he even found himself almost stuck. Realizing that the task was more than they could handle on their own, the brothers prayed together. In a Salt Lake Tribune article, Josh said, quote, Seeing his feet and seeing how swallowed he was by the rock, that's when I knew it was serious. It was really serious. John had anticipated a fun family adventure during the Thanksgiving holiday. Sure, Things might get a little hairy. There might be a few tight squeezes. There'd be sweat, maybe even a few pulse racing moments. After all, this wasn't an advanced expedition. Average people entered and exited Nutty Putty Cave on a daily basis without any drama. But just a few hours after descending, John was hopelessly pinned upside down, 400 feet into Nutty Putty Cave and 100 feet below the Earth's surface. John's brother and family had to crawl back out of the cave for help. Saving him would be a race against time, as being lodged upside down would cause John's blood to pool in his head and lungs, inevitably leading to cardiac arrest and complete system failure if he could not get upright. This was a dangerous rescue attempt as John was stuck so deep 
and in such a small space that any one of the cavers sent in to help could get themselves trapped. The first rescuer to reach John was Susie Matola, 3.5 hours after he had first gotten stuck. At a slight five foot three inches, the passage was a tight squeeze, even for her. Hi, Susie. Thanks for coming, John said. But I really, really want to get out. While keeping an optimistic certitude that John would be saved, Susie tried everything she could to dislodge him. As they bonded over their associations with the LDS church, Susie searched for solutions. She tied a rope around his leg that led to rescuers at the opening of the cave. But between the friction of the rope against the rock and the many angles of the cave, they couldn't move John. Susan tried cutting off some of his clothing to give him room, but nothing. As Susie worked to free up room and tried to hydrate John by giving him a bottle to trickle down his arm and hope for droplets, other rescuers struggled to create a pulley system that would give them better leverage from the cave opening. The Nutty Putty moniker originated from the clay-like calcite that would crumble as they attempted to drill deep holes for the pulley system, adding another hurdle to this increasingly difficult rescue attempt. After two hours, Susie, exhausted and having tried everything she could, knew it was time to switch places with another rescuer. During that time, John's breathing and voice had grown more labored and stuffy. This was a sign that his lungs were filling with fluid. It had been approximately five and a half hours since John had first gotten stuck. Rescuers continued to work on the time-consuming task of drilling in a cam to the rock, threading a rope into the cam, and testing if there was still too much friction. When there was, they would add another cam to the ever-growing and complex pulley system that needed to reach 400 feet down to John's location. As if that work alone wasn't frustrating and time-consuming, getting new pieces of gear down into the cave for additional pulleys took approximately an hour for each trip. The clock was ticking, but due to the tremendous challenges and dangers of the rescue attempt, crews could only move so quickly. During the night, Emily waited at home for news. But as morning came, she could no longer anxiously wait and went to Nutty Putty, which had grown into a command center, buzzing with rescuers and first responders. Despite the graveness of the situation, all hands were on deck, and Emily was certain it would just be a matter of time and trying before she would be able to hug her husband again. After all, where there is a will, and there was a massive collective of will at the entrance of that cave, there's a way. Back in the cave, as each new cam was added, the rescuers were able to slowly inch John back out of the tightly packed crevice. They began to grow optimistic as tedious but incremental progress was made. Then, John's feet hit the ceiling of the tunnel. He screamed in pain. Remember, 
his blood was pooling towards his head. And as a result, his legs were struggling to maintain any circulation. The pain was a hurdle, but the rescuers came to a devastating and gruesome realization. The angle of the tunnel and his body positioning meant they would have to bend his legs backward and break them to get them past that part of the cave. A simple way to visualize the drop is as an upside-down L-shape. As they pulled John's straightened body up, his feet hit the short end of the L. If only he was facing in the opposite direction, he might have simply, if not excruciatingly, been able to bend his knees, allowing the rescuers to continue pulling him. Just 180 degrees of rotation determined his fate. Of course, the team would do whatever it took to get John out, but even if he could handle the physical agony of breaking his legs, his body, in its weakened state, with blood pooling in his upper extremities, could go into shock, and he could die from those injuries alone. To add to the ever-growing list of impossible circumstances, the intricate pulley system they had spent hours building was failing. Despite their best efforts to drill deep into the brittle calcite, the pulley system was beginning to fail as anchor points were starting to slip. However, rescuers would not quit. A new person had taken Susie's place, Ryan Schertz, an expert caver who had been exploring caves since he was four. At this point, John had been upside down for 12 hours. Rescuers above were now working on a new pulley system with heavier equipment to replace the climbing cams that simply could not gain enough purchase in the fickle calcite. Brian's job was to keep John company and to keep him as comfortable as possible as they waited for the new system. Their hope was to adjust him to a wider side of the fissure and then pull as hard as they could. The implication here that his legs would likely break in the process was an unimaginable agony, but one that could not be avoided. Once John was freed, they were ready with IV medicine to combat the shock and horrific pain he would inevitably experience. Being trapped in the dark upside down for this long, John was beginning to lose touch with reality. Why did you guys put me here? John asked Ryan. Ryan used a tube to feed John some Gatorade. He rubbed his legs and comforted him. I'm sorry I'm so fat, John said. It would be so much easier for you guys to get me out of here if I wasn't so fat. They spoke of John's Mormon faith and his wife, Emily, their one-year-old, and their baby on the way. These were dark, long hours. The only light down there would be on Caver's helmets. John's body was weakening. At this point, he would slip between conversation and all-consuming panic that caused him to thrash his legs around. Ryan found that speaking to John about his family focused him. 
rescuers were able to rig a comm system that they lowered to Ryan so John could speak to his wife. I love you. Just keep fighting. Emily's voice crackled through the box. John yelled, and Ryan could hear he was crying. I love you. I love you. Tell Lizzie I love her. I'll get out, and I'll come see you. Finally, a newer, stronger pulley system was completed. At this point, Josh had been stuck upside down for 19 hours. They were ready to begin their final attempt to pull John from his pitch black prison. Rescuers pulled, inching him back up until he again hit that spot in the ceiling with his legs. Again, he screamed in agony. Ryan asked the rescuers above to lower him and give him a breather. When they made another attempt, Ryan poked his head into the crevice. He felt hope as Josh looked surprisingly fine considering the circumstances. It sucks. I'm upside down. I can't believe I'm upside down, he said. But he smiled. My legs are killing me. They let him down to rest once more. 20 minutes later, Ryan called out for what presumably could be the final big haul. This whole thing might actually work. They began to pull. The worst part of the nightmare might be over soon enough. The next thing Ryan recalled was waking up bloodied. His face was swollen and in pain. His tongue nearly split in half. An anchor point had shattered under the pressure of the hull, causing a carabiner to fall and hit Ryan in the head, knocking him out. In yet another soul-crushing blow, John had fallen all the way back down and hit his head. But Ryan had to get help for himself now. He could have a concussion or a fractured skull and needed to surface lest he become in need of rescue himself. He climbed back to the surface to switch places with his father, Dave. John, are you okay? Dave asked. I'm going to die right here. I'm not going to come out of here, am I? John asked. John, despite his own insurmountably dire circumstances, asked about how Ryan was doing. Then, silence. Dave desperately tried his own last-ditch efforts to free John, getting himself stuck for 15 minutes. Throughout this time, John did not respond to his communications. When Dave was finally freed, he frantically drilled new holes for the pulley system. But just like all the other anchor points, they simply would not take. Finally, Dave got a cam in. He was completely exhausted 
It had to crawl out from the underground hell to switch places with a fresh cave rescuer. The news Dave delivered when he emerged was what everyone had feared. There was no more time left to save John. By the time the next person would reach him, he would likely be dead. Now, Brandon Koalis entered the cave. Emily, affirmed by her faith, still held hope. I know you've been pushing so hard for so long. Why don't you just rest for a minute and take a break, and then you can push again, she said. John didn't respond. John Edward Jones, future physician, beloved brother, son, husband, and father, was pronounced dead by a paramedic on November 25th at 11.56 p.m. Emily refused to believe it at first. The pulse in his legs was already non-existent for hours. Maybe he was still clinging to life. How could they leave him there, even if there was a sliver of a chance? But the rescuers hadn't heard a sound from him in hours. He hadn't so much as moved or breathed. Brandon, the final rescuer, said he heard him die. Emily eventually left with John's family to now deal with the unthinkable. A pre-Thanksgiving holiday excursion had turned into an agonizing death for their beloved John. They were gathered to celebrate and give thanks. Now, they would be together to mourn. As if the cruelty of this ordeal mirrored the dark, deep tunnels of the cave itself, the family learned the next day that his body would not be retrieved from the cave. They couldn't do it when he was alive, when he could at least push and wiggle to assist in the extraction. One rescue caver was severely injured. Another had nearly gotten himself stuck. Understandably, they wouldn't risk any lives to retrieve a body. The rescuers still deal with the pain of that night. They have lost people before, but to be right there, to have had so many hopeful moments dashed, to speak with him for hours and hear him slowly fade away, to have dug deep for every possible solution, only to lose John, made for a raw wound. Emily deepened her faith to deal with the immense loss. It's not that I believe because it's the only thing that gets me through. It's just that I know, Emily said. I just know that he's still watching out for us and that our family is still a family. She named their baby, John. The popular Nutty Putty Cave was sealed with concrete in 2009, becoming a tomb 
for John Edward Jones. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yep, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. 